We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Art Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we're recording this the night before preseason begins. Very excited, guys. It's been a minute since the Lakers last played a basketball game, and even longer since they last played one that had any meaning whatsoever. And uh, I know it's just the first game of the preseason, but I'm really excited to get back to basketball. And just with that in mind, this is a new team. There's a lot of newness on this roster and in this squad, even uh, to the coach. I'm quite excited to learn about a new coach. But D, where is your mind at tonight, the night before we start the preseason? Just very interested in seeing this team play a whole new team and a whole new coach, right? With entirely new systems on both sides of the ball. And how's it all look? How's it start to come together? And how do you start to piece it and start to see what are those first sort of gut reactions that you have when you see certain things happening? And I don't know, man. We've watched so many preseason games. It made me chuckle a little bit, Pete, when you said um, it's been even longer since we saw a game that mattered. And on its own face, like tomorrow's game does not matter. Right. right. But Mike, this team went winless in the preseason last year. And I think all of us and a bunch of other Lakers fans I know were reflexively starting to try to hold off on pushing that panic button when the team was not winning, but the idea of them sort of like not showing a lot of urgency was something that stood out to me a lot. So I guess in kicking it to you, Mike, that's sort of the thing that I'm looking for the most is just sort of like, what does the urgency look like? With this group, so I guess I'd I'd put it to you: Is that something that's on the front of your mind? And if it's not, like, what is the thing that you're most looking forward to, or thing that, if you could predict, like, this is what I will be interested in by tip-off comes? Like, well, what is that for you? The urgency to me, it seems like it almost has to be there, just based on the way that all of the interviews have gone, and that of course starts with Darvin Ham, and then on to Patrick Beverly. 
And even LeBron by saying that he's going to be playing more preseason games than he did last year. So there, there does seem to be a little bit of a, of a feel that's different from last year when it was still kind of, Oh, Westbrook's here. Regular season's going to start. And then we're going to be off to the races, right? It wasn't, it wasn't sort of like, Hey, we really need to iron things out in the preseason. That was not the vibe. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so because of how last season went and on top of the fact that the roster is what it is, I do think that just naturally there's going to be a higher sense of urgency. So for me, it's a couple of things. One, Anthony Davis showed up on the injury report with low back tightness, which I just tweeted out a little bit ago, and he's probable. So hopefully it's it's just a little soreness like that happens. Uh, but, you know, just the fact that it is Anthony Davis, I think, causes people to not want to start that thing again. So that's one thing I just want to make sure as, as he starts the game tomorrow and hopefully looks fine and says after the game that he's fine. But it's something to keep an eye on. And the bigger thing for me, Pete, is just we make a lot of we make a lot about what the starting lineup is going to be and i have a whole argument for how it doesn't matter that much but i could make the case otherwise when to me like if beverly's not going to start but i think that he probably either should and it might be the best fit but he's not gonna and then when are they going to get to that it's that's a whole other thing but i just those are a couple of branches off of the tree and the main one that Darius started with is that sense of urgency. And you've been around the office, too. You know, you've been around some of the practices. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if you've sensed that same thing that I have. Certainly. I mean, I, I hope there are a number of people in the organization that whether they were here last year or not, that are like, yo, that can't happen again. And we got to do all, we got to work every day to make sure that that it improves. And so that urgency, like if you like that doesn't come from the outside. And that's something that that I I've picked up on certainly whether it's talking to people, whether it's listening to practice, catching the little glimpses that I have caught. Uh, But the other element alongside that, that the urgency helps to fuel is identity with that new coach, right? He's bringing in these systems on both sides of the ball, even the lineup, like that idea. I think we're getting that clearer sense that the starters are going to be Russ, Nunn, LeBron, AD, and Jones. Even that in and of itself is an identity choice, D. Like that's probably your most athletic group with the exception of maybe Lonnie Walker, but that's a really athletic group and the decision to put Beverly on the bench and our three best point of attack defenders are all coming off the bench between Pat Bev, Dennis Schroeder and Austin Reeves. And so that's a decision in and of itself. And how do individual units play with each other? Where does Darvin go the first time? I That's one of the things this offseason more than any other. There are more combinations of like what the different lineups could be, who there are so many guys that are kind of close within talent that there are, uh, you know, a hundred different combinations that Darwin could roll with. And so I'm really curious, D, like what are those first core two, three lineups that he gives the look at first? Because I think it says a lot about where his head's at. No, it definitely does. It's it's funny because you're saying that there's like a hundred different combinations and that's just, that's just in the backcourt. <laughs> Right. Because, (laughs) right. right. Well, like we joke about it, but it's true. Like there are a lot of good guards and this was true last season as well. And and so one of the things you learn after watching certain guys play together is like, oh, this is a better fit than what I thought it might be just based off of these stylistic sort of uh, agreements that certain player duos or pairings might well might have. Right. And, and, And so. Last season, for example, um, 
maybe Pete might have predicted that like Russell Westbrook and Malik Monk would be a good pairing together. But um, I that, that wouldn't have been right where my head went before the season, but they ended up being quite a good duo and, and really found ways to play off of, of each other. Well, and so when Pete, you're talking about, well, all of these different combinations, like, yeah, I, I'm very interested in seeing lineups with Pat Bev and Austin Reeves or Pat Bev and even Russell Westbrook or Pat Bev and Kendrick Nunn or Austin Reeves and Russell Westbrook or, and on and on and on and on. And those are just the guard pairings, right? What's it like when you have three of those guys playing together? Can you get mm-hmm. away with that? If you do try that, what does your front court look like? Do you go smaller there too? Like, is JTA in that group then, right? If so, who's playing center? Is it Anthony Davis? Is it Damian Jones? Is it Thomas Bryant? Are you are like are you trying to space space the floor? And so there is a lot of like we just don't know. This is where I am curious about like what does he value? And because when the rubber hits the road, coaches can say a lot of stuff, right? In terms of like this is what I believe or this is our identity or this is how I want us to play. But when it comes right down to it, that will all be determined really when they put these guys on the floor, right? Like I heard um, a quote or someone quoted Steve Clifford the other day, right? I saw it come across my timeline and and Steve Clifford said, we're going to play fast. It's not going to look too much different offensively than what it's looked the past few few years right and they have lamello ball you would hope that they would play play fast but steve clifford is an old school grinded out coach right it'd be the same thing like if frank vogel were sort of just like oh well we're gonna do this and we're gonna be a a a lightning fast team it's just like okay like well i'm a little like i'm i'm holding something a little back there so this is ham's first year it's going to be his first first game i want to see if he does throw out like the best defensive lineups if he is really focusing on on all of the defense first stuff because that's sort of been the attitude and the mindset that's been getting pushed out there and so i'm just very curious to see how it all balances out and and what his preferences are based off of the lineups that he's playing mike yeah, and since he's a first-time head coach, there isn't that same track record even from when Frank Vogel had the job. And, and you could look at what he did in Orlando and how that was different from what he did in Indiana. And you know he did evolve some, and he showed that his first year. But he still had his passions, and he still had his things that he would ultimately fall back on. And so there's that part for Darwin, and then there's the game management part where of being the head guy. And he did do, look, he, he talks about a lot, like when he was in the G League and he had to kind of do everything, he did do some of that. Uh, and I think that Bud increasingly let his assistants do more and more, and especially as Darwin was there for a long time. So he's by any means, it's not like he's unfamiliar with the things, but it is still different getting in to that top chair. And when he looks down on the bench, he doesn't have a bunch of those, you know, those former head coach type guys that are going to be right in the huddle either. You know, it's more it's more assistant coaches and some really talented younger coaches. So all of that is somewhat of an unknown. And then that, of course, is mitigated some by the presence of one LeBron James, who if he's on the court, he just takes care of a lot of that stuff himself. And, you know, to an extent. 
Anthony Davis can do things like that. And even Westbrook can do some things like that. So I, uh, I'm, I'm very curious though, for what Darwin says before the game, for what he says after the game, depending on how they play. And if it, if it, it is, it is an unknown, but what we've seen from practice when he's been talking so far is that he's pretty candid and he'll kind of tell you what he thinks for the most part. And, and I'm hoping that that continues right as we get into the, um, the preseason games, because that's the first, that's the first and the last thing that I do uh, when I get to the arena. Well, I should say first and last, but bookending the games, right? Mm-hmm. That's it's what the head coach says. And then it was what he says after. And it tells you a lot about uh, what he's thinking. And then that you can sort of use to parse out things, all of these things, rotations, mm-hmm. uh, assignments, right? How, what they're going to run, all that stuff. So that's what's part of the what's fun about this time that's right before the preseason starts is any clips that we get from training camp. It, it's, you know, we're breaking every, breaking every possession down that we can get uh, posted yesterday. So they had a scrimmage out at, at Pachanga and, you know, we got as many of those clips as possible and we're going through it. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that synergy between what the coach says that you were just talking about, Mike, and how they play again, just going off of uh, scrimmage footage, but the pace is noticeable. And that's kind of like what I'm expecting going into this game, D, is a fast-paced game. We have a lot of guards, might as as well use them. They've been talking about that whole... you know, you you get it, you get it and go idea. That whole rebound and run idea that I was talking about last year, right? Is you get the rebound, you're gonna push. You were talking in a recent pod like LeBron James isn't just because he's gonna be more of an off ball player. Isn't just gonna get the ball on the break and be like, oh, I'm gonna outlet it to the point guard, Russ. Like, no, he's gonna go. He's gonna and that's but that's one of the things I'm excited about. D is that I think that it's gonna be a little sloppy at first for sure. There's always gonna be turnovers, and this is first preseason game whether it's a new coach or not this is just kind of how it is guys are getting back into the flow of of uh of that style of basketball but i'm really excited to see that come to life and to see a team that's built around being able to run the floor and that malik monk fitting with Russell Westbrook, remember at this time last year, I wanted none as that guy. I thought it'd be Bazemore, but none was the guy that I was really into and so we get a chance to see that and so just to see somewhat of a quelling of some of the coaching dissonance from last year i'm excited to see that even if i don't think that it's going to be particularly refined to begin with yeah i also think too that both lebron and russ in particular are limit testers when it comes to uh transition basketball right Mm -hmm. and so when you talked about it being you anticipate it being a little sloppy i do too because Damian Jones is going to be running that middle lane. And I guarantee you, Braun and Russ are both going to be like, oh, look at this guy running right down the middle of the field like he's Gronk or Randy <laughs> Voss or someone, uh-huh. right? Like, like he's going to put that hand hand up and they're going to lead him. Yep. Let's see what right he to can the do. Front of the, yep. Let's see what he could do. Can he catch this ball on the run? Take two big strides and finish, right? And so... What's it look like when we start throwing hard diagonals across the court to a guy streaking up the opposite lane, right? Like, these are the things that I think the Lakers are going to, especially Braun and especially Russ, I think they're both going to look to hit ahead. I think they're going to look to try to 
get downhill themselves, really pressure the front of the rim and then spray, spray the ball out. And are guys running with them? Are they running to where they're supposed to be going? Do Russ and LeBron have a good feel for where those guys are going to be based off of new principles and new systems that they haven't necessarily been running previously? Right. And this is all a coming together. And it speaks to the point that Mike was making earlier about it all being new and Darwin being a new coach. And he's been putting a lot of stuff in. I know that a lot of the guys have been or one of the ideas that's been expressed a lot by several different players is the high IQ level of a lot of the guys and them picking things up and being able to to put it on the court together and and and, and sort of show that they're getting it but it's a whole nother thing when you're running fives against a whole nother team that doesn't know what you what you're doing and has their own things that they're trying to do against you to get you out of what you're trying to do and I know it's just the first preseason game and there's not going to be a bunch of game plan specific stuff all of this is going to be like, oh, first time for everything, and let's see how it goes, right? Well, the most new thing and the least unwrapped portion of what we're going to see, especially in the starting lineup, is Kendrick Nunn. And that's one thing that I've been very curious about because it started about a month ago when guys started to trickle in for five on fives. And I started to hear some of the Kendrick Nunn, you know, looking pretty good. And of course, literally didn't play a regular season game last year. So the last time most Laker fans have seen him, aside from some limited preseason action last year, which was unremarkable, you know, was basically the finals and in in 2020. So now it looks like, and again, we'll see tomorrow, it looks like he's going to be starting. It sounds like he's been shooting the hell out of the ball the last couple of days. Darwin was talking about him defensively, which is something we've spent some time before on where some of the tape, I think, Pete, you, if I recall, you liked some of the tape that you mm-hmm. saw on him defensively. Yeah, I'll get, it. I'll get okay, into more of it, it, but yeah, yeah. And whereas my recollection of my of the eye test and watching the games and then talking to the people that work for the Heat were kind of like, eh, you know, defensively, yeah. Like, it wasn't – he didn't seem like a, a, an additive, I guess, is the way that I had things summarized. But the way that Darvin Ham, to get back to my, my – well, the point I was trying to make was talking about him was like, he's getting through screens mm-hmm. – He's a water bug out there. He's tough. Uh, he's fighting. He's running around. He's, he's chasing side to side. He can pick up a little bit. And uh, he seemed basically excited about him on that end. So the mix of I know that he can score three levels. He finishes well at the rim. He's got some mid stuff. He can he can certainly shoot the three. And then to have Darvin talking about his defense. I'm very intrigued, Pete, to see how Nunn starts the preseason. I, lo- I love that you took it in this direction. Let's take a break. When we come back, talk some Kendrick Nunn. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the thing about Kendrick Nunn's defense in particular is that he's solid for his scoring abilities, right? It's difficult to find guys that are really good D and three type of guards or those types of players who are three level scorers that can handle the ball, that can run off of handoffs or come uh, get downhill off of a ball screen in the middle of the floor. It's difficult to get that in the same player. And so it's more Mike that he has something that he can do that he's pretty good at, which is the water bug type of stuff. If you ask him to do physical type of things, the more, the more strength based things you ask him to do, ask him to do or above the rim type of things you ask him to do, the worse he'll be. But one of the things about uh, this style of defense that we're going to play is that uh, and, and I think a lot of Laker fans know this by this point is it's very focused on protecting the rim. So a lot of the decisions that you make on that end of the floor is that like step back or that step toward the ball that is intended to like seal off the paint in the first place. But what that does is that leaves the next guy over on the perimeter that leaves the perimeter a little more open. You got to be able to scamper that water bug type of idea where you're able to get from one spot to the other very quickly or not get hit by those screens, Mike. Can you def- can you just briefly define water bug? Because Darvin said it and I've heard it before, but I'm not 100 percent sure that I that I I get it in full NBA context. Look, man, I. Where I grew up didn't have water bugs. You have more June bugs than anything. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, there's somebody that's from the right part of the country or the world that has experience with water bugs that I, I don't want to butcher it. Right. But uh, yeah, it's that idea of being able to scamper and scurry, uh, cover distances quickly and kind of like hop around in ways that I think he's saying that it's difficult to pick him off. Right. right? It's difficult to hit him with okay, the screen because you can't catch him. It's like Derek Fisher type. No, we'll see. For, no, no, Fish was. He's more blowing. Yeah, he stuff. was the guy that was like, okay. you know, knocking over Louis Scola type. Um, Schroeder has some of these qualities too. Mike, think of a good punt returner, a, like a Devin yeah. Hester type or a Dante, Dante Hall, Hall or right. one of those guys who like elusiveness. Yeah, who can go. like sort of who can? But we think of that a lot of times within the context of like offense, right? Like how you sort of um, show side to side agility or can get from one spot to to uh, the other, a guy who would be really good at flag football, right? Like you got a lot of uh, that movement within the hips, but defensively, it can be that guy who's really sort of jumping out and getting above a screen or avoiding that hit because, um, He's just quicker and you go to hit him and suddenly he's not there or he's getting over the top or he is like a good boxer who can like roll his shoulder and then get out of the way of something where you're like, oh, I thought I had this guy lined up and suddenly he's not there anymore. And those are the things that none is going to bring to to the table defensively. And I think the biggest thing is where is his competitiveness level on that side side of the ball? Because mm-hmm. Mike, your recollection of him is what my recollection of of him was too it was sort of just like well you're a you're you're fine you are a net neutral Mm -hmm. in the big big picture but on a great team those net neutral guys Mm -hmm. look worse because everyone else around them is like oh well there's jimmy butler 
and there's PJ Tucker or there like you're there's Bam. And it was the same with like the Lakers, right? Like like there's Alex Caruso, there's Danny Green, there's and on and on and on. And so if none ups his competitiveness on that side side of the ball, I think he can be a net positive. And then Pete, if you have a net positive defensive player who is also a three-level scorer, that guy can be an important rotation player on a very good NBA team. And I think that that's probably where some of Darwin's excitement is coming from. I think it's a little optimistic to see him as a net positive defender. I think he's like, I think his, where he, he will ideally be is a, solid for a guy who can really get you buckets you know he's a guy that can really score and really score out of the type of actions that we're going to ask of him he also just doesn't have the size right, right to be that impactful yes so he's right? exactly he's the kind of guy that can scamper around the perimeter and do those types of things but when it comes to like mixing it up around the rim it is a mix of that like amount of fight for those types of things and that also size and he doesn't really have the fight and that that like desire to really mix it up physically and so that's part of the reason why though with this style of defense you keep your guards are very much on the perimeter and their job is to be fast and press up and and the that's why you've got two guys back into the paint and that's one of the things that of i i'm so excited about darvin and the ability to, to have synergy between the roster and the ideas that he's putting in place. But there's also, it's not entirely good news or things that, that I think will work out positively. One of the main things I'm keeping an eye on guys is the, is Anthony Davis on the defensive end and how he fits in to a much more conservative type of system. He was talking the other day about, he has this urge to kind of attack and press forward and, and get out on the perimeter and be that kind of wrecking ball that he's always been. And this style of defense asks for something different, Mike. And so I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. Fair point. Can I table it for one second? Because I want to ask you guys a none question first. Just thoughts on fit next to Russ and, you know, within that backcourt versus fit next to Beverly. Right. And and or even coming off the bench. Right. As more of kind of a six man score type and and having an Austin in that role. Just what what do you make of the fact that this is what we hear is happening in the first preseason game? I think it's good to throw him out there and see what he can do. And I think that he is probably the most polished offensive player um, in the backcourt who's proven it. Right. So I like where Austin can go as like a playmaker and as a passer, but he is nowhere near the three level scorer that none is. And I think next to Russ, you probably want one of those guys who can do a little bit more Pete, like someone who was not going to be as dependent on needing Russ to be the guy who always has, has the ball. One, one of the clips that I saw from either a practice or it could have been the scrimmage is none got a quick outlet. And Russ was sort of like lingering back and sort of waiting for the ball. Some, and none was like, I got it. Let's go. And Russ sort of then got on his horse and started to run some. But it's like I like that none is one of those types of guys. And I honestly am looking more not for an adjustment from Russ, but I think it's Russ who is going to have to be like, oh, my running habits are this. And I see that this guy has the ball. But but maybe that's me sort of reading too much into one single clip that that. 
That's what I'm that saying. Saw, That's right? what we do right now. This uh, is pick apart every little clip that we can get. And so to answer your question, Mike, on the positive side of things, I think that it has a, an ethos, a style that that starting lineup with respect to you have all your best athletes. And so Darwin's been talking about we're going to run. We're going to really focus on our transition habits. And that's the lineup that you do that with if you want to do that. Secondarily, I think that if you want LeBron to not have to run the offense over the course of 82, then starting the first and third quarters with someone else on the floor that where he can be off of the ball uh, a decent amount. That's one of the things I've noticed from the clips is that he's starting plays in the corner a decent amount of the, the time. And so from the preservation of LeBron James, I that's the you know one of the positives from it. But one of the downsides is that like just defensively, we've been talking about how we're going to be defense, defense, defense. All your best defensive guards are on the bench. And even Damian Jones, I'm, I don't think is a great defender at the five spots. So we can emphasize it and we can hopefully play the system as well as we can. But, you know, it's about the guys, Mike, and it's about the personnel that you have. And so that's one of the things like I, I would have. In a in a perfect world, I would flip Pat Bev and Russ, as I think that they that it all fits a little bit uh, better together. But I think both the starting lineup and the bench has an idea behind it that I can get behind it. I'm curious to see both of those develop. That point that you just got to is where I'm at too, right in my mind. And the reason is, so you were talking about the ways that none fits with Westbrook in certain senses on the offensive end. And it's like, well, yeah, you can think about last year, and that's part of the reason why Malik Monk mm-hmm. worked better with Russ than some other players did. But guess what? Like, that that didn't work as a larger unit. It didn't really – you have LeBron and AD there then, and then, like, well, then they're going to have the ball a lot anyway, right? So And so is if in Monk's case, he's not as good of a defender as none. But it's not like none is the guy that's going to take out somebody on the other team. Right. And then this is getting, this is having me thinking about Darius, the conversation we've been having with Darius, where he's like, okay, so yeah, but then what's LeBron going to do on defense? Like, because, you know, and well, yeah, you could put him in the corner, but then that means that Russ and nor none have to take on a prominent role defensively. And that's the part of this that I just don't, that I'm already kind of like, I don't get that. Um, and I don't get how that works. And I think that we've seen a lot of it because we know close enough to the type of player that none is. But, you know, it's uh, it, it, this is preseason. I just would there's a part of me that feels like I would be surprised if this works great uh, in. But I'm getting ahead of myself. OK, I'm, I'm already getting ahead so- of myself. Russ's defensive role this year isn't something that we've talked about very much. Uh, we've framed him a lot through offense. And I, you know, Darvin, one of the things that he said whenever asked about Russ has been, well, yeah, if he defends. And that's always been the, the first thing he's replied with, D, oftentimes has been about that. And in this, with none next to him as kind of that scamper cover distance type of guard, he's basically going to ask Russ to be the Drew Holiday role, to be the Pat Bev type of role, the pressure the guy that's in front of you, guard their primary ball handler. And it's a challenge of sorts, I see it as from Darbenham, in that you are physically capable of doing this. This is something that that you can do. And when you choose to do it, you're actually okay at this. Is he as good as Pat Bev? Of course not. But when he locks in, it's something that he can do. But it's that if he locks in type of thing. Right. And so that I find that curious that I, I basically see Darvin Ham saying, Russ, you're going to start out as our primary point of attack defender. So you saying or, show me Darius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, man, he, he also may have to guard small forwards, even if they're not the primary ball handler. 
right? So it's just like, this is where the point that Mike was making is super important in that D- Damian Jones does not have a lot of defensive versatility. Mm-hmm. And Kendrick Nunn does not right. have a lot of defensive versatility, right? LeBron and AD do. And you're asking Russ to have that defensive versatility as well, right? Because those three guys, so none is going to have to, I think, defend point guards a lot, right? Because if he's defending a shooting guard, that shooting guard, it, like how many shooting guards around the league is none going to defend well or that's the best role they're usually going to be too big for him so if you look at like golden state and phoenix for example he's probably going to guard steph and chris paul that that's right and so then russ is going to have to so this is where it starts to get interesting because then russ is is likely going to take the next best player between the shooting guard and the small Mm -hmm. forward depending on what the skill type is for those two two players, right? But I think that's basically the role. And Mike, this is where I'm where we didn't get into it at the end of last pod, but we brought it up. It's like that idea of like, okay, well, what are you asking of like of LeBron? Because intrinsically, I think what we're all sort of agreeing on here is that the ask of Russ defensively might end up being higher. The ask of LeBron, like, do you guys see it that same way? Well, and this is where I kind of turn my attention to Patrick Beverly and just thinking, (laughs) hasn't he shown, regardless of who his teammates are, that when he starts, it gets the team going a certain Mm -hmm. way. He he picks up a certain guy that's in the starting lineup, right, that you want to harass early as opposed to coming in off the bench and then you know, shifting to who, right? Like, I guess if a team has a great six man score, whatever, but you know, is, is he, yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the part where I'm, I'm still curious uh, to see, but I don't know, maybe that, maybe in that spot that frees up Beverly to play more minutes later in the game. Cause as we've talked about his minutes need to stay lower, but I, I think w- there's a way to adjust that. And Pete's probably made the spreadsheet already. <laughs> I certainly have. <laughs> about, He'll about be a closer. As a, yeah. Well, I will say this, that Pat Bev is, you know what you're getting with Pat Bev, and there's no need to try him out. If you need to end up starting Pat Beverly in the second preseason game or the third preseason game or on opening night, I'm pretty sure Pat Bev is going to be ready for that. I think that, and I I think part of it is politics. I think part of it is um, respect. I think part of it is like understanding who this guy is as a player and what his mindset is. But I think Darwin is giving Russ the chance to say, show me. And you've been a longtime starter in this league. You've been an all NBA player. You've been an all star. You made the top 75 team. Show me that you're still that guy. Right. And I'm going to ask you to do these things as well. You're going to have to guard. You're going to have to play hard on that side of the ball. We were going to want you to show some discipline offensively as well, because we want these things to happen. And I think Pete Coach Ham is is giving Russ a chance here. And if Russ does what he's supposed to do, I think that chance is going to continue to be mm-hmm. extended to him. But I don't think 
that this is locked in by any means. Now, maybe I'm, that's just me sort of hoping that that's the case, right? But based off of some of the comments that I've heard Coach Ham say himself, that's sort of where I think that he's at. So that's one of the other things that how does Russ play? What does it look like? And how does it all come together is also important here. And I'm glad you summarized it that way, because this is why I was trying to tell myself, don't get ahead of yourself, because this is all we have right now. It's a morsel of, oh, I think this is how they're going to start the first preseason game. And we're here, right? It's the Laker Film Room podcast, like it's coming out tomorrow. (laughs) So, but that is why it's important. And I I actually, I totally understand why Darvin would want to come in and give Mm -hmm. Russ that shot. And I know that, that that's something that Pete's been talking about for a while. Um, I'm I'm sort of looking further into the distance, which is not required right now. It, and it's and Pete, that's where I'm going to defer to the points that you've been making on this, like preseason yeah, game number one. You know, see see what you can use that's to right. build off Amen of that. that. Let's get a W and, and play as well as and hard as we can. Uh, really excited to have Lakers basketball back. We'll be back tomorrow to cover how it went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.